glad you could come out. And let's ask the Lord to bless our time in the Word. Father, we do thank you for the privilege, indeed the privilege, to be together as God's people, to sing your praises, uh, to study the Word of God together, and uh, share what's on our hearts and, and pray together. So we just uh, we commit our time to you now. We ask your blessing upon it. Uh, use it in our lives for your glory. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, well, we are in uh, Ephesians, and uh, Ephesians chapter 6. And as we note, uh, the theme of Ephesians is the church, uh, positional truth, first three chapters, union with Christ, union with each other, which is the essence of what the church is all about. Practical truth, uh, we should live out, this should kind of be obvious in our lives uh, in terms of practical truth. Chapters four through six, walk in unity, holiness, love, light, and wisdom. And then under these uh, categories, you kind of have this... uh, subdivision, if you will, uh, submission on submission to one another, wives to husbands, children to parents, and tonight, uh, slaves to masters. Uh, Really, as we uh, finish out this section, this is kind of called the household uh, section here. Uh, Wives, children, and now slaves. And and slaves were often uh, a part of the the household, in effect. That's why it's called the uh, the uh, household code in chapter 522 uh, through uh, chapter 6, verse 9. Uh, slaves were owned by masters. That's the definition of a slave. Somebody owned you. Somebody owned you. And uh, so, as we have noted, they were became really a, a part of the household there. I mean, they, <laughs> they belonged to that, that household. And so that's what we're looking at. Uh, we might make some application. We're talking about masters and slaves. We might make an application, soft application to uh, employees, employers, right? Some application here. As far as, uh, praise the Lord, we're not slaves, right? Uh, emancipation of slaves took effect a while back here, so I don't think anybody's a slave today here. But uh, this is what he's dealing with in the Roman Empire, where you had about 50% of the people were slaves. 60 million people in the empire, about 50% of them were slaves. So it was very relevant as far as what uh, uh, was going on back there. And we'll talk about this and how this uh, relates to our thinking even today. Uh, Let's have somebody read um, verse 5. Let's begin chapter 6 and verse 5. Who wants to read that for us? Yeah, Albert? Okay, thank you. So he starts out here, uh, New King James. What are you reading, Albert? Uh, ESV. ESV. They're all pretty much, except for the Holman Christians uh, Standard Study Bible, uh, which is very literal at, at some points. But literally here, it's uh, the Greek word doulos, which is literally slaves. Uh, slaves. And uh, slaves uh, in the Roman Empire had no rights. You see, they were owned by a master who had all the rights over them. They had no legal rights. Uh, the master could do what he wanted with the slave. If he wanted to whip the slave, nobody could do a thing about it. If he wanted to kill the slave, he could kill the slave. Uh, there was nothing legally that could be done. So they're really at the mercy of the master here. And uh, it, you know, sometimes we kind of try to say, well, it was a soft slavery back then. Well, it could be, but it wasn't always. It could be soft, it could be harsh. Uh, so uh, note that. Um, agricultural instruments were divided into three categories. Mute instruments, tools and machinery. Inarticulate 
instruments, animals, and articulate slaves. So they were basically, you know, considered property instruments. The three categories of instruments here. They, they were just one of those categories of, of instruments. In this case, articulate ones. But uh, they had no access to the courts. You say, well, boy, what recourse did they have? Not a lot if you were a slave in those days. Not a lot of recourse. You say, well, wonderful Christianity is coming along, and that's going to be wonderful for us slaves. We finally are going to have our rights champion. Hold on there, partner. Uh, uh, it didn't quite go that way exactly. Uh, it did end up for the benefit of the slaves, I think, but not in the way that we might normally think here. Uh, note a few things here. Uh, to ask a slave to serve under these conditions with the kind of attitude that Paul calls for required nothing short of supernatural power. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. Whereas we look at what a terrible situation it was, God says, look at my supernatural power in the lives of these slaves who live for something greater than themselves and something beyond this life. This became a testimony that revolutionized the Roman Empire from the inside out. And isn't that kind of just like God? He does it in a way that it just it contradicts the human wisdom and worldly wisdom and worldly thinking. Uh, the way of force is not the way it's it, it brought change about here. And so uh, there is a better way. And uh, some have really come down hard on the Bible and New Testament writers for not taking a strong or direct stand against slavery. Uh, however, we should give thoughtful consideration here. There have been uprisings in the past opposing slavery that were put down with much bloodshed, etc. Uh, there was a better way, a better approach, and that is what we find in the New Testament. The apostles did not consider it their mission to alter the structure of human society by any direct political activity. They did not call for a, con a conventional revolution, but rather an inward transformation and a corresponding outward behavior that in due time would profoundly affect the whole of society. So I think it did have that effect, but it was, uh, we're in this section where we're talking about what a spirit-filled living look like in relationship to the marriage, in relationship to the home, uh, children, uh, parent relationship, and now in the workplace. What does a spirit-filled uh, life look like? Uh, I think uh, the slaves have some things to teach us as Americans, honestly. Um, another, I've got a few sl uh, slides here. Christianity's emphasis uh, is on transformation of individuals who in turn will influence society and not on the transformation of society, which will then transform individuals. I think that will stand if you really study the New Testament. Today, many have tried to turn this principle on its head uh, through political means. They believe that they are going to make society a better place. And I think that's a, that's a trap to fall into. And I think, honestly, conservative Christians often kind of fall into this trap. Like, if we just get conservative leaders who kind of think like we do, uh, be careful what you do with that. Uh, that's not going to happen. In contrast, the New Testament emphasis essentially on changed lives that in turn uh, impact society. Uh, that is why I say the mission of the church is essentially apolitical. The church, as the church, doesn't have a political agenda. Instead, we have a spiritual agenda. Now, you might say, well, uh, you know, uh, doesn't it ever intersect? I think it does. In the, in the case of life, for example, we would see a biblical principle related to life. But I would not consider that a political agenda. I would consider it really a biblical principle 
that, that we are taking a stand for. So, uh, you know, when it comes to uh, what is right and wrong in terms of sexuality, there's biblical principles here. But it's not like I'm saying, well, I'm going to jump on this side. Actually, I'm not sure any side is really going to stand with me as a Christian when it's all said and done. <laughs> um, so uh, let's see here. Doesn't mean we never take stands. Uh, now, as individuals, we should be responsible and sensible citizens in keeping with good stewardship. You notice I was talking about uh, back here, uh, the church as the church. But when we talk about um, individuals, um, yeah, well, where am I going here? Yeah, as individuals, we should be responsible and sensible citizens in keeping with good stewardship as individuals. But the real agent of change is the gospel, which changes lives. This is what ultimately makes an impact on society in terms of what really matters. Uh, the one hope of changing the dynamics of any society for the better is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have nothing else to offer. Uh, this is the great emphasis all the way through the New Testament. And again, I'm emphasizing the, the mission of the church. It's not like things won't help people if they need water. You know, it's good. They can have water, uh, those kind of things. But as far as really changing people, I'm talking about real change in the hearts of people, which is the real core issue that we're talking about. How does that happen? Thus, slaves were not instructed, to, uh, not instructed about their rights, not in the New Testament. Rather, were instructed to be the best slaves that they could be to the glory of God. They are not coached to clamor for freedom, but rather are told to be obedient to their masters. This is really pretty radical. Now, indeed, if they can gain their freedom in keeping with Christian principle, they are encouraged to do so, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. But the first line of emphasis was to be faithful to the cause of Christ in the role that God had sovereignly called them. So that's an interesting kind of radical thought if you really find yourself in this condition of slavery. Uh, Paul here put his finger on the secret that meaningful reality is much bigger than just self. It's much bigger than just the present. It's bigger than the temporal. The New Testament emphasizes that you can serve Christ in whatever state you sovereignly find yourself assigned and find fulfillment in Christ there. You can die to self, whatever your status in life, and serve God there. In the end, it's all about serving Christ wherever I am, whatever my context it's not ultimately about life in the here and now. Rather, it's about life eternal. It's not ultimately about temporal liberty, but spiritual freedom. It's not ultimately about the pursuit of happiness, but rather holiness. Paul could say in jail, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Uh, he could rest in the sovereignty of God wherever he was placed and serve him uh, there, even if that involved physical bondage. So uh, there's, a, there's a big picture emphasis here. And finally, one more slide here. Uh, this is revolutionary. This perspective is not natural. This is supernatural contentment and supernatural joy. I think it flies, again, in the face of conventional wisdom out here in the world. Uh, what the Bible says and the, and the wisdom of the world, it, it doesn't jive. And so this is spirit-powered, spirit-filled living. By the way, we are all slaves of one kind or another. Some are in bondage to sin, which is a worse kind of slavery. However, as believers, we are slaves of Christ. Um, I was going to ask you what you thought of your boss here, but we didn't want to have too long of a testimony yeah. time. But uh, notice what Paul says to slaves in 1 Corinthians seven twenty-two: He who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. 
You are free in Christ. You're free in Christ. And yet, he says, likewise, he was called while free is Christ's slave. So uh, we're all serving in one form of slavery or another. Uh, Some were literal physical slaves, but we're all slaves of Christ when it's all said and done. And you know why that is? Uh, Why are we all slaves of Christ? He bought us lock, stock, and barrel, right, with his precious blood. We really are not our own. You say, well, it's my life. I can live here. Okay, worldly. (laughs) As Christians, that's not true. Uh, Our life is not our own. It now belongs to Jesus Christ. He bought us. He's the master. We're the slaves. Now, there's other imagery that's used. We're also called the brother of Christ. We're children of God. Lots of uh, analogies. But the emphasis here is on slaves here tonight. So he says to them, uh, slaves, bondservants, literally slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. First word is be obedient. Be obedient. Doesn't say, you know, defy them. They, they ought to let you loose. It's great sin that they're in. He doesn't say that. Uh, first word to the, the spirit-filled slaves is obedience. And really everything flows out of this. Again, life is about authorities. And, uh, and there are realms of authority that God has ordained related to the home, related to the government, related to the church. And uh, so... As God has ordained authority figures, we are to submit to them. And in this case, uh, he doesn't call for anarchy and chaos. He calls for submission to those in authority here. And uh, we naturally kind of chafe against those who are in authority over us. I don't know why that is true. I think it relates to the old sin nature. And we just kind of have a problem lots of times. It's easy to find fault with those in authority. Don't you know better than most of those people in authority most of the time? <laughs> Boy, my armchair quarterbacking is good sometimes. And, uh, but, you know, they need our prayers. They, they really do. But uh, he says to these slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. And now he's not talking spiritually. They're not your spiritual master, but they are according to the flesh. They were slaves in the Roman Empire in, in that system. And he says, be obedient to them. Uh, And how so? He says, with fear and trembling. Boy, he's really driving it deep, isn't he? Uh, With fear and trembling. Uh, Fear is the idea of of reverence or or respect. And uh, trembling uh, carries that idea too. We're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Here he says to these slaves to obey their masters uh, with fear and trembling. And really, I think the idea here is respect for these authority figure that God has put in your life with reverence for God. Really, your attitude towards your master is a reflection of your attitude towards God. I think that's the key here. So really, they are working out their salvation with fear and trembling in that sense. And he continues, uh, in sincerity of heart. Uh, The idea of sincerity is uh, singleness of heart, uh, wholeness of heart, Um, not half-heartedness, but uh, one that is loyal, uh, one that uh, has faithful allegiance. Uh, Put your heart into it, sincerity of heart. And then he says, as to Christ, do it just as if you were serving Christ. Uh, That's the whole emphasis here. Uh, Now, we might understand if you are well-treated, 
uh, you know, say, well, the, the master is good to me, so I'm going to uh, treat, I'm going to serve in this way, uh, you know, with respect and uh, sincerity of heart. But what if they're not treating you well? That becomes a little bit of a challenge, doesn't it? Uh, well, Peter addresses this. Peter says, and again, I got the Holman Christian uh, Standard Bible here. Uh, household slaves submit with all fear to your masters, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the cruel. Wow, that last part's challenging. Uh, but then he continues, for it brings favor if mindful of God's will, someone endures grief, grief from suffering unjustly. Uh, notice what he continues to say there. For what credit is there if you sin and are punished and you endure it? But when you do what is good, in this case, obey the master, and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. And then he really makes it strong, for you were called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. Boy, Peter writes to these slaves, and, and he, he says, you're really called to suffer. And when you suffer wrongfully, that's commendable with God. Uh, and so again, I think... Uh, I'll make this very personal. I think the slaves have a lot to teach me. Uh, you know, when somebody mistreats me, when there's injustice, it can really upset me. And, uh, but what about these slaves here? You know, I have a feeling when we get to heaven that those slaves are going to be first in line. The last are going to be first. And I think those slaves are going to be the head of the line. And uh, if they served Christ in that role, their reward is going to be great. And we will see that as we continue on in the text here. All right. Any other input before we move on to uh, 6 and 7? Nope. Nobody wants to touch this one. <laughs> All right. Let's have somebody read verses 6 and 7. Uh, Mickey? Now with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond service of Christ. Doing the, will, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service, as to the Lord and not to men. Okay, thank you. So he continues on, kind of describing how the slaves should respond to this. Again, I think this is spirit-filled living, not with eye service uh, as men, believers, uh, men pleasers. Uh, this, again, is a, is a contrast here with uh, sincerely of, of heart. Uh, with eye service means you're really only being diligent in serving the boss's goals and, and desires when he's watching, you know. And, and you've probably worked with people like that, right? Uh, when the boss comes around, they're the hardest workers in the world. But when the boss isn't around, it's like slough off time. I don't care a lick about the boss. And so he's saying, don't do this. Uh, not with eye service as men pleasers. Instead of being men-pleasers, what kind of pleasers are we supposed to be? Well, God-pleasers, right? We're, we're, we're trying to please God ultimately here. That's, that's the goal. Uh, so who are we trying to please? You know, Paul says in a different context in Galatians 1.10, if I yet please men, I should not be the slave of Christ. And uh, so uh, we want to be God-pleasers. And that's what he's challenging these slaves to be. And then he continues, but as bond servants of Christ, again, slaves is more literal here, but as slaves of Christ, um, serving the purposes of Christ here ultimately. And how do you serve the purposes of Christ if you're a slave? Will you be the best slave possible? 
you want to be doing this as unto Christ, and it's ultimately about him. And then he says, doing the will of God from the heart. Well, what is the will of God for a slave? It's kind of like children. It's very simple for children. It wasn't too complicated for slaves either. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. What are slaves supposed to do? Obey your masters and, and do it sincerely. Uh, doing the will of God. This is the will of God for you. Not to be insubordinate, but to be obedient. Now you could say, boy, this is really kind of hard on them. Uh, was the calling to be a slave a put down? So my goodness, you know, I can see where God might call me to be a, a king or you know, maybe a, somebody high ranking in society. But what about a slave? A slave? Is, is this really uh, kind of a put down? Well, no, I don't think so. As you consider the teaching of the New Testament, note that Jesus came as one who serves in a lowly position. The New Testament addresses this lowest class of people often. And this was the lowest class of people in the Roman Empire. The passages of the New Testament constantly reference them. This is probably because of the great number of them who became believers. I think as a category of people, more slaves became believers than any other category in the Roman Empire. Uh, boy, is that a bad thing in the end? Uh, no, that's a good thing in the end. Uh, God chose to use them in a special way. And to display his grace and power through them in a special way. It's really a special calling. God, in effect, is showing us that he can use anyone in any status. And in fact, most often, he uses the lowly in the greatest of ways. Again, kind of turns uh, the way the world thinks uh, on its head. And then he says, doing the will of God from the heart. Again, he emphasizes the heart. We saw a sincerity of heart in verse 5. And now again in verse 6, uh, from the heart. Uh, God looks at the heart and he wants it to be Christ-centered. And what I see ultimately what God is asking of these slaves is, I want you not to think about yourself. I want you to think about the cause of Christ. And God's design is how are we going to win people? Well, it's not going to be like in your face, I'm fighting you. It's I'm going to... Uh, humble myself, and I'm going to be obedient in this in this humble role that God has put me in, and God would use that effectively. He continues, verse seven. He says, "With goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men." Again, uh, with goodwill is the idea that you know I really want what's best for my master. Uh, that's that's what I want. I want what's well for them. And uh, with goodwill is I'm desiring the best. Uh, I'm desiring good for those in authority. It's not like I'm, I'm, they're treating me badly, so I'm hoping everything comes falling down for them. No, with goodwill doing service. And so uh, the attitude here is really what is being talked about here. Uh, an attitude that says I'm all about furthering the master's interests. That's, that's what I want to do here. And, uh, you know, we talk about attitudes. Ch Chuck Swindoll talks about, he says, uh, attitude is, um, is, is huge. Uh, attitude is about 90% uh, of the deal. And, and what happens to you is 10% is what he says. So 90% uh, is uh, how you respond. 10% uh, is your, um, I think I said it backwards. It's 90% uh, attitude, 10% what happens. Uh, note here the characteristics of these spirit-filled workers. Obedient, fear and trembling, sincerity of heart, not with eye service, from the heart, with goodwill. Boy, 
that is a real challenge. I think that one that you can really probably only live up to if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we all struggle with, uh, with attitudes, uh, especially in regards to the man sometimes, right? The man, the person who's in charge, the person who's in authority. Um, uh, especially when the man does really stupid things, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, notice he continues. As to the Lord, once again, he says, as to the Lord, uh, a slave's work is God's work. He's doing it for the Lord. Uh, he's not just doing it for the master. He's really doing it as to the Lord, really serving the Lord. Three times we have this emphasis here. Verse five, as to Christ. Verse six, as slaves of Christ, bond slaves, whatever it says, bond servants, but really literally slaves of Christ. And verse 7, as to the Lord. This is the great emphasis throughout here. Um, if, we don't, if we don't see that, we'll miss the point. Uh, this is the right perspective. We're doing it for the Lord. We're doing it for the Lord. And it's interesting to read about Christian slaves in the Roman Empire. As they would be sold, they would bring a lot more money than pagan slaves. And the reason is because of their their thinking and their virtues and their characteristics, their character. And so uh, they would say, well, this guy's, this guy's a hard worker. You can trust him, you know. Yeah, they, were, they were known as being more valuable because of their character. As to the Lord, that's, that's what a spirit-filled slave would do. He would just be serving his master as to the Lord and not to men. Uh, not ultimately, we're not ultimately serving men. The slaves were not ultimately serving men. Uh, they're really serving Christ in this role that they found themselves sovereignly placed in. And this requires an eternal perspective. If you're just thinking about this life, you can see where you get bitter. But if you have an eternal perspective, that changes everything. And that's the challenge here. All right. Any other thoughts? Yeah, John. Well, I think there was some political pressure there, uh, perhaps. Um, that's a great question. We know it's literally slaves. There's no debate about that. But why did they translate it uh, bond servants? Uh, I think they wanted to take the edge off of it as far as, you know, um, as far as political context, perhaps. There's some pressure there. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. <laughs> but I think there are pressures there. Yeah. Well, I look at it as our entrance into servitude to Christ is voluntary. In Rome, it was not. And that's why they chose bond servants. Because I just looked at about six different versions, and they all say bond servants or servants. Well, but what he's dealing with here relates to. This, what's going on back in Rome. He's, you know, we're making application to our relationship with Christ. And boy, he'll make it strong in verse 9. Um, so I wouldn't think you, that... There's no reason to water it down. Any reason, I would say. If it's slaves, put it down to slaves because that was the context here. Kurt?
Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, I oftentimes think I have a pretty bad attitude toward him in some regard. Well, I may not be able to change his attitude, but I can change mine. Well, amen. I think, I think of it as, as I've had difficult people before, and you know what helped was when I started to pray for that individual. Mm -hmm. God changed my heart towards them. Mm -hmm. I did. It was still the same bearing that was coming down, but mm -hmm. at least I could start to have a little joy in that situation. Mm -hmm. I think that's the context. Amen. Amen, brother. That, that is so true. And uh, yeah, what's our attitude towards those in authority? That becomes the issue. Uh, even if I disagree with them, you can imagine a slave many times would disagree with a master. But since the master said to do it, what is the will of God for me to do in this situation? Well, it's pretty clear. You should obey. You should submit to that authority. Lots of application. Like I say, in America, we t this is a kind of a whole new way of thinking for us, I think, honestly, as American Christians. We're kind of, every, every man has kind of got his own rights here, and, and we think through that lens instead of kind of thinking through a biblical lens in terms of our attitudes towards authority sometimes. So, and, and praise the Lord, you have a, in our context, we do have freedoms, and uh, we, you know, we can use those freedoms. I would see where Paul says, you know, if a slave can go free, by all means, you use that avenue to do that. So, so there's a balance there where, hey, if I can do something about this, if I'm not being treated fairly and there's some arbitration that can happen, okay, that's fine. But we do need to guard our attitude, which is what you're really talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. So now you have these, these slaves who are believers and who are trying to do a good job for an unbelieving master or believing master, right? Yep. But then they have the pressure of the other slave, right? Who are going to be mocking them or calling them names or whatever it may be because they are trying to have a, a godly attitude, a godly perspective and be obedient to Christ. And a lot of times, you know, people do not appreciate other people when they're working hard because Right. Well, that's true. Yeah, so they're catching it from every angle is what you're saying, potentially. Yeah, no, that's true. I, I think a lot of times the spirit-filled life is, is not appreciated from a lot of angles, you know. That's true. Especially if you're in a position like you are yourself are compromising. You want others to kind of go that way too. Yeah. All right. Yes, Carol. That's what my theology would say. Yep. God is always the highest authority. And so if he's asking you to do something immoral like that, it's kind of, you know, I'm going to accept whatever the consequences are here. I say that with our own government. If the government's commanding me to do something contrary to the word of God, I'm not going to have a, hey, let's take the hill. Let's get our guns out and fight the government. I'm going to, def I'm going to be disobedient and accept the consequences, uh, whatever those might be. So, yep. God's always the highest authority. Uh, we don't have to sin on behalf of anyone else. I think that's true across across the board. Tom? Well, first of all, Vince, 
He's talking about attitudes. Sure. Yeah, and I think often they would get close to the masters. You know, there was not always a hostile relationship here. In fact, I would say most often it was not a hostile relationship. They often had a very friendly relationship. And as the master came to trust us, he would become almost like a family member, training the children, et cetera, et cetera. Lots of... Uh, lots of things that they were trusted with, even as far as the um, you know, the estate and so forth, from what I see. So, sort of like Joseph mm-hmm. right? Yeah, Bill. Yeah, right. I think that our society makes us a struggle more. Yeah. With that, you know, we have a heritage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Amen. Yeah, you get kind of human pride in there, uh, uh, civic pride, patriotic pride. You get all kinds of things that enter in as far as human wisdom. It's really, is this biblical thinking or is this kind of, you know, I want to be a Christian, but I kind of have it baptized in the world's thinking here a little bit, influencing me. So that's why I say, I think the slaves got a lot to teach me in, in a sense here. And really how God used them, I think, in a mega way as far as throughout the, the whole Roman world to impact the whole Roman world, uh, Roman Empire for the cause of Christ in a huge way that would not have happened otherwise. So uh, God's ways are not our ways. They're always higher. And, uh, but again, I think in spiritual thinking, it's like, what is the governing thing? I think it's Christ. These slaves are saying, Christ is my all. I'm serving Christ here. Okay, whatever I'm doing, I know I'm, I'm living in light of eternity here, even though things are rough here. So, oh yeah, Marilyn? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have a hierarchy, you know, when you work as a boss, of course, but the event that's also served in the military deals with those rankings. Uh huh. And if, you know, it's you're down here, you don't report up here. You don't go to this person, you go to the next rank above you, and that kind of thing. So it's kind of like the slave life. They, they, mm-hmm. they had their 
Yeah. That's great, Marilyn. And I think that is the key idea here. The concern is the testimony of the slaves here. Okay, you find yourself in that position. How are you going to be a powerful testimony for Christ? That's what he's outlined here. Be the best slave you can be for the master. And certainly if you can get yourself out of that condition, I mean, that'd be great. Maybe you, your, your master says, hey, I'd like to, I want to set you free or something, whatever. And that's great. But honestly, the average slave back here did not have a choice. He, he was locked into a system. Well, what can I do about that? About the only thing you can do is what Kurt was talking about. Maybe adjust my attitude and, and live in light of who I know uh, as Christ here. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. And the thing to remember is that there were slaves that they were slaves for different reasons. Right. Some were captives. You know, some were born into slavery. Some put themselves into slavery because they had a big debt. Right. And so there were different, right. different situations. That's that right. People were slaves. Some would always be slaves. Always. Some maybe say, well, it's going to be five, six years until I pay off my debt. Yeah. There were different categories in that in that sense. That that's true, right? Yes, Pat. Marilyn, uh, just her example just reminded me of something with our students down in Peru at the seminary. You know, we're oftentimes seen as that little uh, Baptistic seminary up there. You know, people wonder what they're doing up there, all that sort of stuff. But our students are are seen as very good workers. They're seen ah. as reliable. They're seen as on time and honest hard workers, you know, they're, they're going to follow through. Uh, and so I, I was, you know, I just was reminded of that, uh, how sometimes they don't understand what we're trying to get across, you know, at the public square when we preach the gospel, but they understand the practicality of a good hard worker, mm-hmm. the hard working student. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Boy, it is so true. Um, there was a situation uh, where I was talking to somebody and they were really, it was, it, was, it was not right what happened. It happened in a job-type situation. And I said, well, boy, I said, uh, you know, they, they wrote this person up for something that really was not his fault or his problem. I said, I think I would have just tore the papers up, I said. Well, then later I said, you know, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I said, the biggest thing is our testimony. You know, it's not even that I'm taking my stand here and ripping these papers up and saying, this is wrong. I'm going to die on this hill. No, the biggest thing is our testimony. And so we don't want to respond that way. I kind of had to eat some, some humble pie in the moment. I was not happy with the situation, but uh, we got to come back to that. What, what is our testimony here? That's the ultimate issue there. And just like you're saying, those, those uh, students, they're being a great testimony in, even in their work ethic there. All right, let's have somebody read verse 8. Who wants to read verse 8 and 9? 8 and 9, who wants to read that for us? Yeah, Dwinette? Okay, so he's uh, continuing on addressing the slaves here. Uh, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord. Uh, again, good here is doing beneficial for the, for the, for the master, uh, for the earthly master, being obedient and seeking the good of, of, of the boss, as it were. And uh, knowing that whatever good anyone does, 
you will receive the same from the Lord. There's going to be a reward for, for every good thing a person does. And by the way, this is the fourth time uh, the Lord is brought into the equation here. We, we've seen three of them, and now the, uh, we'll receive the same from the Lord. Every good thing done for the master will be rewarded. Uh, no good work will be overlooked. Uh, it will be rewarded. By the way, this kind of brings uh, to the four here too, uh, that there is no division between sacred and secular work here. Uh, these guys are doing secular work, right? These slaves. But uh, they're doing it as to the Lord. And uh, as they do good in their secular work, uh, he's saying you will receive the same from the Lord. God's going to reward you. And he says, whether he is a slave or free, uh, whatever the status, uh, do it as unto the Lord. We're all serving the Lord. Whatever our capacity, it's to be done uh, in that regard. Okay, any thoughts before we finish out here on verse 9? Okay, verse 9. Got a word for the masters. Really kind of a warning for the masters. He's talking to Christian masters now here. Obviously, if you had an unbelieving master, that's a whole different thing. But here he's addressing Christian masters. And you masters, a master is one who has authority over. Uh, really, uh, the word master and the word Lord are really pretty much parallel. Lord means master. Uh, you masters, of course, be a small L here, uh, do the same things to them. In other words, seek their best. Seek the best for the slaves. Seek their welfare. It goes both ways. Really kind of the golden rule here. And uh, don't exploit them. Don't take advantage of them. Treat them in a Christ-like way. You masters do the same things to them. Uh, seek their best, uh, their welfare. Giving up threatening. Again, uh, you're in a context in the Roman Empire where there was absolute power over slaves. They could crush them. Uh, often slaves, uh, if you had a number of slaves, they would often even get married in a household and begin a family. And if... Uh, the master wanted to, he could say, you know, I'm selling you at the next auction, thus dissolving the family. Well, that'd be just, what a threat that would be over somebody. Uh, don't, don't be threatening like that, is what he's saying. Uh, threaten them with uh, beatings, uh, whatever it, it might be. He's saying, don't, don't abuse. Don't abuse your authority. Uh, yes, place for proper discipline, I'm sure. Uh, you had to keep things in line. But don't abuse. Uh, your authority. And I think as uh, masters, it would be a challenge to kind of keep things, uh, you know, uh, in the realm of, you know, proper treatment and, and humbleness here. Giving up threatening. And he says, here's what your motivation should be, knowing that your own master also is in heaven. Uh, they too have a master. That was my point earlier. We all have a master. Uh, and... Uh, Christ is the master of the masters here. And that should be the regulating principle. Uh, it's a lordship issue. You're accountable to your master. And uh, you should therefore uh, treat those slaves that are under you properly, knowing that you're going to have to give an account to your master in heaven one day for how you've treated them. And he says, and there is no partiality with him. Uh, no partiality with him. No uh, preferential treatment uh, no favoritism on judgment day. I'd say, well, since you're a master, we're going to treat you a little different than we do the slaves here. No, 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 not, not before God. Uh, there is no partiality with him. So uh, 
what a, what a great lesson here as far as our attitude towards those in authority generally. Uh, certainly relationship to uh, uh, slaves. And uh, I think a good thing for us to take away here, as seen in verse 9, is that we all have a master in heaven. And that's the one we're ultimately trying to please. Whatever our role is, uh, we're trying to serve the ultimate master. And then there are levels of authority in this life. But the one we're ultimately trying to please is our master in heaven. All right. Any other thoughts as we wrap up here tonight? Yeah, Kurt? Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's pretty radical in, in that time frame to think about in that relationship and how something so dysfunctional could come together for the glory of God with that unity. That is a great thought. Amen. Amen to that. And you see that emphasis all the way through. Jews and Gentiles here, masters and slaves. And as we go along, we do find slaves often became elders in the, in the church. They would be in a position of authority over the master in, in the context of the church. <laughs> Makes for an interest, interesting dynamics. Yeah. All right. Anything else? Yeah, Tom? No, like I say, it was not a, uh, I think you can go to certain places where, you know, uh, slavery is, is not a great thing in the sense of, uh, you know, in like the book of Revelation, where it talks about how, how they're, uh, um, what they're doing with the souls of men there. And in certain contexts, is it Revelation 18, wherever it is. I think there are certain uh, verses like in First Timothy chapter 1, talk about uh, kidnappers, which is the idea of taking people slavery into slavery against their will. I, you know, it's, it was not the best, but there were a lot of things. It's like, how do we confront this societal issue here? And that becomes the issue. There's a proper way, a spirit-filled way to, to address it. And then there's a fleshy way to address it. And so I don't think uh, we want to say, well, slavery is just an ideal here. No, I don't think it is. Uh, that is correct. But it's also interesting that where Christianity went, yeah. slavery, slavery just sort of fizzled out. Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. What's the better way? That's the better way. You know, working it from the inside out, change lives and impact society. Yeah, for sure. All right. Any other thoughts? A good input tonight. That's great. Okay, let's share some prayer requests here. Y'all have a prayer sheet. 